Welcome to Think Bible, the podcast that exists to challenge, edify, and encourage Christian women to think and live biblically, all for the glory of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Think Bible podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith, and I'm glad that you've chosen to join us this week here on the podcast. So if you follow me regularly, you'll know that we missed a podcast last week. I've been struggling with a cold, um, so I just ask that you bear with me (laughs) as I work through this today. I think my voice will hold out, hopefully. Um, But this month we've been talking about preparation here at Think Bible. And I know that the Lord really put this theme on my heart, but I don't really know all the reasons why. So it's been kind of exciting to go day by day in my devotions and in the circumstances and the things that are happening and just let him lead and teach me. Um, I feel a little bit funny because I'm talking about preparing and last week I was not prepared and I missed um, getting a podcast up, but Um, that's okay. We'll just trust the Lord that he knows what's best and we'll keep plugging away. So um, I'm studying the book of Esther for my devotions right now. You are probably already aware that the name of God is never once mentioned in the entire book of Esther. I think that that was done to show just a little more pointedly or a little more specially how active God was behind the scenes throughout the events of that story, just as he is today in our lives. So since I'm also dwelling on the idea of preparation for Think Bible, as I've studied Esther, I have seen so clearly how God prepared every detail perfectly, precisely. There was perfect timing, perfect placement of people and events, perfect interactions between those people, perfect decrees and responses. So he did all of that to accomplish his ultimate goal in their lives. And it has been such a blessing to me to study that and realize that though oftentimes I feel like the world is spinning out of control, my world is spinning out of control. God really is the one that is in in sovereign control And he is working all these things together to accomplish his good in my life. Um, That has just been the the overarching theme that God has driven home to me this time. But earlier this week, as I was studying Esther, I got to the part of the story where Haman has revealed his wicked plot to massacre all the Jews in the land of Persia. Mordecai had become aware of that plan And he had now helped Esther see her role in saving all those people. She must risk her own life in order to save others' lives. So I guess I've always assumed that Esther accepted that very willingly and eagerly. As I've studied it this time, I see that there was some hesitation and she was really weighing the cost there. But she does ultimately take on that responsibility. But the first thing she does when she makes that decision is she begs for Mordecai to gather together the Jewish people. She's going to gather her maidens and they're going to fast in order to prepare 
before this encounter with the king. Why did she feel the need to fast? Well, again, the story does not mention God, nor the need of his favor to help Esther, but that implication is there. Esther knows she will need God in order to accomplish this thing. Fasting is a subject that American Christians don't really talk about very much. Whether it's because we don't want to draw attention to ourselves, whether that's out of true humility or maybe it's out of pride, (laughs) or whether we don't actually fast, I don't know what it is. But fasting is a common practice in most parts of the world, and it was certainly practiced in the Bible. Now in America today, if people do fast, it's usually for health benefits or weight loss. That is not what I'm talking about. I am talking about setting aside a time of afflicting your physical body in order to draw closer to God and to exercise your spiritual muscles like faith, discernment, trust, even to express lament to God. These are intense times for prayer, Bible reading and study and seeking God for direction, forgiveness, and whatever else he has put on your heart. We know that in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people observed many different fasts as part of the Law of Moses. The New Testament Pharisees put a burden of additional fasts on the people. Yet in the New Testament, the command to fast is never reiterated, nor are the the Old Testament commands repeated. So is it really necessary to fast today? Well, I think somewhat like the tithe, It's a matter of Christian liberty and personal responsibility. In other words, it's between you and God. Let's look at some of the reasons that fasting was practiced in the scriptures. 2 Chronicles 20 verses 1 through 4 say this, It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gede. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. The first reason we see in scripture for fasting is deliverance. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, recognized the danger his country was in, being attacked by their enemies, and he knew that God was their only hope. So he called for the whole land to fast pray, and seek the Lord for deliverance. Now today, we are likely not being attacked physically by an enemy army, although there are some believers across the globe who are enduring such things. But primarily, we are being attacked spiritually by the enemy of our souls, which of course is Satan. When you find yourself enduring spiritual warfare, That may look like blockades at every turn or hindrances in your spiritual walk, maybe continual health or financial or other struggles, or maybe you're just in an intense battle over personal sin. Fasting 
is always an appropriate response. Use the time when you would normally be eating your meals or um, being entertained, maybe scrolling through Facebook or watching a TV show. Use that time to beg God for help and relief. Call upon his mercy and grace. And we know, as he did for Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, he will bring deliverance. Joel 2, 12 and 13. Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. In this passage, Joel was giving warning to the Israelites of God's impending wrath and judgment on their sin. And I just read to you God's recommendation to the people in the face of that judgment. He encourages them to fast and weep and mourn in repentance over their sin. That would, again, be an appropriate response for us. When God convicts of sin, do you try to minimize it? Do you cover it up and hide it? Do you make excuses, saying, Oh, that was just a lapse in my judgment, or I simply made a mistake, instead of admitting your sin and recognizing its seriousness as an offense against the God of the universe? Fasting gives weight to your repentance and solidifies the decision to turn away from that sin for good. Jonah 3 verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. I think you know the story of Jonah pretty well, so I pulled out one verse. But similar to the above example in Joel, when the people, the Ninevites, were encouraged to fast as a sign of their repentance, the people did so right after Jonah preached to them. But their king took it a step further. After he declared that fast for the whole city, he said this, Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? That Gentile king recognized that he and his people were at God's mercy. Rather than just hope that God would not punish them, as he said he would, the king felt that they should make a demonstration of the fullness of their repentance and pray that God would accept their small sacrifice in exchange for the destruction they truly deserved. The king did not demand that God accept that, but he hoped that it might be an outward sign of the Ninevites' inward repentance. And verse 10 tells us the, same, the result of that. God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. So God did recognize the depth of the people's repentance as evidenced in their outward works, and he granted mercy to them. Does he not do that with us today? How often have I or you deserved great punishment for our choices and sins? 
but God has withheld that in lieu of his grace. Now please understand, I am not promoting a works-based salvation, friends. Christ's blood is the only merit we have before God. But fasting may be a good outward sign of that inward heart change that the Holy Spirit has wrought within us. 2 Samuel 1, 11 and 12 Then David took hold on his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. When Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle, David and his army fasted. Think of that. Saul was really David's enemy, humanly speaking. Saul had tried to kill David numerous times, but David still recognized that Saul was the divine agent of Israel at that time, and he mourned his death. Anytime a public figure dies, we ought to mourn. Whether he was a good leader or not, whether we agreed with his politics or not, we ought to mourn. If for nothing else, the fact that a Saul a soul has gone out into eternity, likely not knowing Christ as Savior, ought to be cause for mourning. And fasting is an accurate representation of the mourning. David fasted and prayed for others who were his public enemies too. Psalm 35, 13 and 14 says, says this, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth, I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into my own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. You know, not just the death of a public figure, but really any national or large-scale calamity might be the cause for us to fast in order to beg God for mercy favor and healing on behalf of our nation, our world, and those who have been closely affected by the tragedy. Think of times like 9-11 or the Oklahoma City bombing or large natural disasters like tornadoes, fires, tsunamis, etc. Let these times of public crisis be cause for Christians to step up and support one another spiritually, not just physically. Esther, chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Then Esther re- bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish... I perish. Now this is the example that prompted my study on fasting. Esther knew her life was in danger, and she knew God was the only one could, who could help her. While we may not be in such a situation, we certainly do deal with less than favorable government entities on a regular basis. As churches and Christians lose their religious freedoms, we ought to bring our concerns before God Almighty, 
who only can intervene in such matters. Remember from, I think it's Proverbs, the heart of the king is in the Lord's hand. He turneth it whithersoever he will. Acts 13, 1-3 Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. <clears throat> and Acts fourteen twenty one through 23 When they had preached the gospel to that city, that's Paul and, or Saul and Barnabas, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Now these passages show us several New Testament reasons for fasting. First, the believers were looking to God to direct them in choosing leaders for their congregations. Anytime a church is electing deacons or officers or voting on a new pastor or looking at supporting a missionary, prayer accompanied by fasting is a good practice. We want to be clear on the Lord's choice to lead our churches and to represent our ministries. Too much is at stake to take that decision lightly. And second, the people's uh, fasting was in preparation for ministry not just the ones who were choosing the leaders fasted, but the men who became the leaders themselves fasted. They pro probably were also seeking the Lord's wisdom for their lives, and they wanted to be certain that God, and not man, was the one calling them to take on these new responsibilities. And third, when Paul and Barnabas had established a church, they left that church in God's hands also with much prayer and fasting asking God to preserve and protect them. You've probably noticed that fasting goes hand in hand with prayer in almost every situation, along with repentance and humiliation. I don't mean that it's a shameful practice, but rather that it requires humbling oneself in order to recognize our dependence upon the Lord. I read a wonderful wonderful article by a man named David Mathis on this topic. It was such a help to me that I want to share several of the main points with you as well. He defines fasting as a means of Christ's ongoing grace for his church. As I said earlier, fasting is a physical demonstration of our need for God. We need food and water to sustain our physical bodies. We choose to purposefully deny ourselves of that need for a time in order to demonstrate that God and His grace are what we need above anything else. He alone is sufficient. Now, while the New Testament doesn't command fasting, it's kind of an assumed thing throughout the, the second half of the Bible. 
Jesus Christ did fast while he was on the earth. And if the Son of God needed to practice fasting to demonstrate his dependence upon his Father, I'm certain that it is not a practice beneath us. He also gave instructions regarding fasting in Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast, notice it doesn't say if you fast, but when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. It's the same as giving. It's not something to be done for public acclaim or um, praise, but rather to be done secretly between you and God. In other words, make sure your motives are right. Um, in David Mathis's article, he mentioned several reasons for fasting, and we've covered a lot of those already, for repentance. <clears throat> These fasts did not earn God's forgiveness, but demonstrated the genuineness of one's contrition. Um, he says they fasted in the Old Testament to grieve hard providences, because fasting gives voice to the pain and sorrow of sudden or severe outward circumstances. And it represents a heart of faith toward God, who's the only one that can heal us from those tragedies. Um, people fasted to seek God's favor. It served as an intensifier along, alongside their forward-looking prayers for God's guidance, for his mercies, and for his special favors. Faithful fasting, whatever the reason for it, is rooted in the human lack and need for God. But his last point was the one that really struck home with me most. He says, as New Testament believers, our fasting is grounded and settled on Christ. It's part of our union with Christ. His finished work on the cross, his resurrection, his intercession for us at the right hand of the throne of God, his gift of the Comforter who is always with us, his preparation of an eternal heavenly home for us, while still recognizing that we are not yet home. Fasting is a statement in the very midst of our deepest needs that we are not totally empty. We have hope in Christ. Um, so, I hope that's helpful to you. That really struck home to me and just made made good sense. It uh, resonated. We are not without resources because we have Christ our Advocate pleading with God our Father and the Holy Spirit our Comforter praying with words that cannot be uttered. But we do recognize our dependence upon the Lord God and so we come to Him to express that need and ask for His help, His forgiveness, His guidance, and his comfort. I can think of no better spiritual discipline for us to begin developing today. Music 
You've been listening to the Think Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Please visit us at our website, www.thinkbible.online, to learn more about our ministry or to take advantage of the resources we have there for you. That's www.thinkbible.online. You can also find us at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the name Think Bible. Until next time, let's all think and live biblically for the glory of God.